Well, good evening, HBC. Thank you for coming back again tonight, and it's good to be together to sing like that, to open God's Word again at the end of the day. So will you open with me, please, to Psalm chapter 18. I'm going to read the, the prescript to the psalm, and then verses 1 to 3. Psalm 18, to the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul, he said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. Let's pray. Oh dear Lord, as we come together again at the end of this day, we are very grateful for another chance to dive into your word. And Lord, as we take this opportunity this evening, Father, we pray that you would comfort us from your word and that you would lift us up, that you would lift up our eyes, that we would see you again. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to fix our eyes there on you because you are our rock, you are our fortress, you are the stronghold, our deliverer, the horn of our salvation. So we come to you, Lord, that our hearts may be fixed upon you again. Amen. On the road back from Joburg early on in this week, um, we got caught, my family and I got caught in a, a massive downfall. It's actually what KZN welcomed us with. And the downpour lasted for a, a very long time. It rained and rained for kilometers on end. The kind of rain where it's difficult to even see the road in front of you. We had to slow down on the highway almost to a, a crawl, and it went on so long we thought it would see us through right all the way back to Hillcrest. Well, once in a while, after a while, there was a break in the downpour, sort of this pocket when it wasn't raining, and you could actually see the road again and speed up again, and, and we thought things were fine, and then it wasn't maybe two minutes, and we were back into it, back into the downpour. And often in life, that's how it feels when it comes to your trials, the trials that we face. Now, as Christians, we know in one sense it is true that we are we're either in trial or we are between trials as Christians. Sometimes, like my drive, those trials come thick and fast. The danger seems ever-present. The reprieve, it's short-lived, the days of peace. Other times, the clouds are few and far between, and our days of rest and peace stretch longer. Whatever the case, we know that Jesus promised us this, that in this world, you will have trouble, and we won't avoid it. It may take us sometimes that trouble to the edge of where we think we can continue, the edge of what we think we can handle. But as Christians, we know we must face it. We must meet that trouble 
together with our Lord. Now, David certainly knew his fair share of life-threatening dangers, his fair share of tribulations, but he writes Psalm 18 from this perspective of a rare moment in the eye of the storm, a moment of peace and calm in his life. Now, Psalm 18 is almost word for word taken out of 2 Samuel 22. It was recorded there as well. Most likely spoken by David, I believe, after Saul's death, after finally he became king and there was a time of peace in his life, but probably before some of the later trouble that he would face, you know, like the trouble that he faced because of his son Absalom and the the coup that Absalom attempted. David here is between trials and his prayer in the psalm is a model for us. And where are you at this evening? Are you between trials at the moment? Maybe you're facing a few small things, things here and there, but in general, things are calm in your life. Well, Psalm 18 provides a reminder for us what to do in those times of calm, how we are to use the days of clarity to prepare our hearts for what might come in the future. Maybe you are in the middle of something right now. Maybe the trial that you face is even severe. The rain just keeps pouring and pouring. Maybe it feels like it's flooding the car and the engine is in danger of being flooded. Well, Psalm 18 then for you tonight is just an opportunity if you would still your heart to reflect on who God is, on his goodness to you. Maybe it's just the air that you need for today. We are confining ourselves just to these three verses, the first three verses in Psalm 18. And I wanna point out one thing from each verse. One thing I believe is an unchanging thing that we have in our life. Whether we're in trial or between trials, something that we have to cling to, a golden thread that runs through all of life. Before trials or between trials, we have these things in order to prepare our hearts. There are hours now, and we know there will be hours in the future when trouble comes. And if we are in trouble, there are things to anchor our hearts to as well. Number one, my love. Now, I put it in the first person. That might seem weird to you, but it's, it's pertinent and relevant because of the language of the psalm. So when I say my love, I don't mean my love. I mean from your perspective, your love, you saying my love, all right? Psalm 18, let me read this prescript again. And verse one. To the choir master, David says, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul, he said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. Now, what are the moments that are going through David's minds as he writes the psalm and sings the psalm? The epithets that we see in verse two here are quite abundant, and I believe the language there is telling for the season of life that we're looking at in David's walk with God. He calls God my rock. Did you notice twice in verse two? 
It's actually two different words, two different Hebrew words that he uses there. He calls him him fortress and he calls him stronghold. The language here, that, that cluster of words that he's using, it brings to mind a season of David's life when Saul was pursuing him. You remember that time in David's life where he had to hide from Saul in natural strongholds and in fortresses in the wilderness, when he had to hide in caves and flee from Saul for his life. That first word, rock, it actually matches a word that we see in 1 Samuel 23, 28, a place David called the rock of escape. David is hiding from Saul and he gets news uh, of Saul's scouts searching for him. So 1 Samuel 23 from verse 25, it says, and David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. Saul went on one side of the mountain and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul as Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them. A messenger came to Saul saying, hurry and come for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the rock. And there's our word, the rock of escape. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Engedi. You can feel the tension in the author's words there. When it seems like Saul has finally got David cornered, like this is the end, all of a sudden it's a a Philistine raid against the land of Israel and David is rescued. The second word for rock in Psalm 18 verse 2 matches another word that we see in 1 Samuel 24, wild goats, rocks. Saul returns after he's dealt with the raid against the Philistines, and he's told that David is now in Engedi, and it says in 1 Samuel 24 from verse 2, then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, here is the day, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your, hand, your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David rose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Do you remember the story? He doesn't kill Saul. He lets Saul live and Saul actually leaves that cave without noticing David's presence. David has been hidden in the deep recesses of this cave in the rock. So there was this season of intense pursuit and it seems like every time Saul gets close, God provides protection. Maybe as David is writing this psalm, he's reliving these rescues in his mind's eye. And how does he begin his reflection? Simple and precious words. I love you, O Lord. That word for love is a rare word in Scripture. It's actually used more commonly of God's mercy and his affection for his children. It's used also of the the affection that the parent has for the child. And here, 
what the psalmist is telling us is that David's heart is welling up with affection in a peacetime moment of remembering God's grace and goodness to him. There are difficult days in the ministry and I, I, I come home on difficult days. I finish work and I, I leave my office and I come home to a family whose eyes just shine to see me. And if I'm able to faithfully tear my attention off of the troubles of the day and the things that I've faced and the emails maybe that I didn't get to, if I can tear my eyes off of those things, what I can see is a wife there who loves me and, a, and children who are a joy and precious to me. There is love in their eyes that I'm able to rest in, like the Engedi that, that David had between the pursuits of Saul. And what I have in the love of a family towards me and, and the joy of being able to love them, it's what we have here, a pale illustration of what every believer has in God, of what David had in his relationship with God. The bedrock of David's faith, the bedrock of our faith is the love of God, a love that overflows for us. And it overflows in our lives then with reciprocated love for him. 1 John 4 verse 19 says, We love because he first loved us. God has loved us and called us and he's saved us. His love is over our lives like a banner. It is assurance for us in every trial. It is a love from which we cannot be separated. Paul reminds us in Romans chapter eight, it's the love of Christ in which we stand, he says, that lasts through tribulation and distress and persecution, famine and nakedness and danger and sword. None of those things can separate us from the love of Christ. His love fills our life and produces love in us for him. And it's that love that is what accompanies us in our trials, isn't it? The, the bitterness of tribulation is accompanied for the Christian with the love that we have for God in addition to the love that he has for us. And we experience his precious closeness with us. Each day, this assurance is ours. For those who love him, he works all things for their good. Reflect on these words. No matter what you face tonight, how wonderful is it not to be able to say, I love you, Lord. I love you, O Lord. Your sin that once separated you and would have left you without hope and without God in the world has been nailed to the cross by our Savior, the Savior who loves you. And in the darkest hour, this is the truth that shines, isn't it? I am his and he is mine. He loves me and I love him. And I believe it's important to learn this lesson from David. The love that he has for God is something that colors his trials. Now, yes, he is saying these words. He's written these words between trials. And maybe you're in the middle of trial and you say, it's easy to say when you're not facing trial, I love you, Lord. It's easy to talk then, but David's words are, it's, he's not just saying, oh, you came through for me, so now I love you. 
Love shaped his life. What he's doing in the psalm, he's just drinking from the cool of it in the calm in order to prepare his heart, steal his heart for the later storm. And he was led by love in his trials. We see this time and again in David's life. You see it operational in his actions. Like that story I read of the cave at Adullam, right? David has a chance to kill Saul. And what does he do? He lets Saul live. But what is it that causes him to let Saul live but his love for God? David's even cut to the heart that he would, he would even cut the hem off of his robe. 1 Samuel 24 verse 5, it says, And afterwards David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put my hand against him, seeing that he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit, permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. It's the love of God controlling David in the middle of what everyone else thought was an opportunity. We see that love in the later trials as well. One of my favorite stories is this incident after the, the coup that Absalom is attempting. David hears word that a, a great army is coming for him. Many of the people have left David and they are following Absalom. And Absalom is coming, so David must flee. And he flees Jerusalem with many of his people. And then there's this Benjamite. His name is Shimei, you could say. I think it's Shimei is actually the way you say it. But there's this Benjamite following him, cursing him, insulting him and his people, throwing dust upon him, throwing stones. One of his mighty men, Abishai, wants to cut off the man's head, saying, how can we let him do this? Again, David stops him. His attitude is, my own son wants to take my life. How much more this Benjamite who's loyal to Saul? And again, we see him trust himself to God. He trusts vengeance to the Lord. And David actually says that it may be that God will repay me with good for his cursing. In the middle of his trial, I trust myself to the Lord. I trust that he has a purpose and a plan. Our love for God in trial brings about in our life the sweet blessing of obedience. Even when it hurts or when our hurt makes it difficult to obey, there are depths of joy available if we would allow love to win out in our trials. That's number one, my love. Number two, my God, my unchanging God. Look at verses one and two again. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. And what I wanna highlight here from David's language as he reflects and remembers those times of rescue, notice his language of praise. He doesn't say, God gave me strength. He doesn't say, God provided the rocky crag or the fortress to hide in dark. He doesn't say, God gave me a shield which I use to defend myself. Those specifics are secondary to a greater reality. In those situations, David knows God was the rock. God was the fortress. God himself was the shield. What David does here is good practice for us. See, we like to look at the future 
and fixate on the specifics. I will be okay later on if dot, 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 if this or that happens, if it works out this way or that way. We wanna run the numbers, and when we do, we can't see any hope of a future. We wanna map out the scenarios of our salvation. And what we should be doing is looking back and saying, God was everything that I needed yesterday, and he will be everything that I need tomorrow. My hope for the future is not the what, but the who. My hope for the future is not financial security or the policies that I have that are active. It's not the success, my performance at work. It's not the approval of my peers. My hope for tomorrow is that God will be there. And how do I know that he will be there? It's because he was there yesterday. And God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. David reflects on what has happened in the past and what he saw was the unchanging character of God. So it doesn't matter what tomorrow brings. My God doesn't change. David's saying, Lord, you are my strength. I know I'll get tired. You don't get tired. You upheld me yesterday. And when my arms grow tired tomorrow, you'll uphold me again with your righteous right hand. You are my rock. It wasn't the swiftness of my feet that saved me. The rock that I stood upon was solid rock. It was solid ground. And tomorrow you'll be solid still. I'm standing on you. My life is not built on the sinking sand that others build their lives upon. You are my fortress and my stronghold. In the darkness of the cave, God is the one who is my hiding place. I am hidden in the cleft of the rock, secure and fixed. And that's what we are tonight. You are my deliverer. The appearance of a Philistine raid is no coincidence. And I may not see tomorrow how I will make it through, but I will find myself making it through nevertheless because you are my deliverer, God. You are my shield. It's not the the thickness of my skin. It's not what I'm able to craft that protects me tomorrow. I face tomorrow with the shield. You you are the shield of faith. The enemy's darts are not going to be able to, to pierce me. God, you are the horn of my salvation, the one who is mighty to save. Scholars say here that the the horn here is a picture of strength, the the picture of a bull um, chasing, a a bull in rampage. God is the one who stands between me in trouble and who protects me. He takes the offensive. So as we come to this verse, we have to ask, what is it that shapes our worldview? How are we looking into the future? Is it the circumstances around you that shape your view of the future? Or is it the unchanging God, His character? that shapes your view? And can you this evening declare that God is all that David says that he is? We want to make this our practice. We want to uh, shackle our hearts to these truths. We want to do it in the times of rest because you know as well as I do how difficult it is in the moment of trial then to try and do it, to shackle our hearts, keep them from fear and trouble, and anxiety and doubt. Let us store David's words in our hearts. Let his experience speak to us and teach us. These words, they remind me of the the words that I I often think of when I feel my, my heart moving towards doubt and 
fear and anxiety. The, the words from that hymn written by Louisa Stead. You may have heard the story. She was standing on a beach with her daughter. She'd gone to the beach, her and her husband, her daughter one day. There was a boy drowning in the shore and her husband went out to try and rescue the boy and they drowned together. And she watched on with horror with her daughter as her world came crashing down. But she wrote the, this hymn, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, and, and here's my line, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. You look back at your life, when has he ever failed you? When has he ever failed you? And if he's never failed you before, why would he fail you tomorrow? Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Our God is unchanging. Finally, number three, my salvation. Verse three, I, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I'm saved from my enemies. This is a verse that David, it speaks of David's confidence for the trials that he faced in the past, the confidence he has for the trials he will face in the future. David will go into battle, and we see him go into battle time and time again, into trouble and danger, confident of victory in God. And he went in with praise on his lips. Now, we don't come to Psalm 18, verse 3, and read this like a one-to-one a -one promise, right? That you're going to go and slay all your giants, this isn't a promise to the Christian that you're gonna be kept from physical harm. That's not the promise here for us. Now, God can. He can, and sometimes he does deliver us in these ways. And when he does, it is appropriate for us to turn around and to say in those moments, I love you, Lord, my strength. When the cancer disappears and doctors are left scratching their heads, or when he provides a job at what felt like the final hour, it's good to turn and say, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and he saves me from my enemies. But the promise here isn't that he will always spare us from the danger and the harm. So is the truth of this verse lost on us? When the cancer comes back, or the diagnosis is worse than you even expected, or when you lose your job, at the critical hour. No, we know even then we say, I love you, Lord, my strength. You are worthy to be praised. Your love has not changed. You have not changed. Salvation has not changed. Christian, he has saved us from all our enemies. From the sting of sin and death, Christ our Savior died and rose to save us. From our enemy, the devil, he is a, a vanquished foe. And he's saving us still. There's a future that is coming for you and me in Christ that cannot be changed, cannot be taken away from us. He's adopted us. He's forgiven us. He's freed us. How wonderful that we live in that reality. He invites us to come to him, to call him. He invites us to fellowship with him. And so it is our special privilege 
to meet every trial that we face with praise on our lips. You are worthy, Lord. I want to close with the words of Charles Spurgeon. He said, to be saved singing is to be saved indeed. Many are saved mourning and doubting, but David had such faith that he could fight singing and win the battle with a song still upon his lips. How happy a thing to receive fresh mercy with a heart already sensible of mercy enjoyed and to anticipate new trials with a confidence based upon past experiences of divine love. No fear or doubting. With Christ on our side, we hope to die shouting, the Lord will provide. Let's pray. Our Father, we are, are very grateful for personal psalms like this one. Lord, I am very grateful for the, the truths that David has taught us tonight. That you are a rock that cannot be shaken. You are a mighty fortress, a bulwark never failing. Lord, we thank you and we look back upon your mercy to us. Lord, we just need to look at the cross to see the love that you have for us at the cross. That you would call the rebel your child. There's a grace already beyond our imagination. Lord, we pray, help us to know tomorrow when we face trials, the next day when we face trials, whenever they come, help us to know that you love us, to know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you are good, that what you do is good. You don't make mistakes. You are righteous. And Lord, may our testimony be of your goodness and your righteousness. May we face trials like strong Christians. To your glory in the world, we pray.